But I think that sometimes the terminology can be a little bit of a hiccup, but people just latch onto a term like socialism. And I think in, in the American consciousness, at least conservative consciousness, they think socialism means Soviet Union, means Stalin, means starving Ukrainians, means we should never do that. We, like this is, and I mean, I, that's there's a very a primitive point to kind it. of analysis. Yeah, but, but, but I don't think it's necessarily the result of misinformation because it did happen. Yes, <laughs> no, that should not be ignored either. Yeah. And, and the thing is that no society has ever been able to, to resolve these trade-offs between political freedoms and, and economic redistribution. No? So you, you cannot have, have it both ways, it seems. of the left, this entirely misunderstanding of it, I think, in American politics. And um, I know that it'll be interesting to talk with you being from Mexico, as well as having that, that leftist idea, because I don't think that there really is a left here. And there might be some leftist thinkers, but you don't really actually have any political power in any sort of leftist institution. And Bernie Sanders and AOC, they kind of represent a social democracy maybe, but it's a very mild view of, for, in, from what I understand, of what really a leftist would be. So uh, just between us, so like in German terms, you'd have like the SPD maybe, this is like the social Democrats, and that's maybe what someone like Bernie Sanders would be a part of. He wouldn't actually be part of like the, the true left there. He would be kind of like middle left, if that makes sense. The thing is that society and, and our political thought has been moved to the right so much that, that now we tend to see welfare state as a leftist issue. <laughs> the, the thing is, it, it probably never was because it, it was in charge mostly of, of securing competition between, between capitalist countries and also to secure that the, and I'm sorry if the word comes off as strong, it, it was a, a mechanism to secure the hedge, uh, the control by, by the bourgeoisie. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, the state secured that the working classes were fed, were uh, educated, so they could work for, for the private uh, sector, but also that they would not rebel against the masters, so to speak. Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. So you have essentially, we want to, in more modern, let's say, developed countries today, not in the United States currently, but you have health care is provided, some working workers' rights, paid time off, things like that, in order to give people a decent enough life that they don't become discontent and actually try to overthrow yeah. the system. Yeah, they're a way to alleviate exploitation, as, as Marxists would say. The thing about the left is that it seemed that its program was very radical and it was only attainable through subversion of, of the current state of, of state of things. You had to finish the state because the state was subservient to the bourgeoisie. You had to finish even the organization of uh, the arts or, or of science. You had to, to reorganize how, how people live in their daily lives, even what the, the very concept of family means. Can you explain that yeah. a little more, like the this idea? Because I think I can understand easier when it comes to 
reorganize society or the of the state that isn't so focused on let's say the the those who hold power and in this case who yeah. hold wealth or in property and things like that but when it comes to the family how does that i think that would be a good example because that's not talked about contemporaneously at all yeah well the thing about family uh, and this is a, a very ancient theme which probably rises as a as a subject of of discussion in ancient Greece is that family is the property of the male paternal authority. So in that sense, family in itself is private property. And usually political subjects in, in this history of political thoughts, they are not subjects on the, unless they are free. And being free means to own yourself, to be the owner of your own person, but also to be in, in charge of other persons. Because otherwise you cannot be political, politically uh, so, uh, responsible whether if you're only thinking about your own good somehow you you have to think of of the good of your family of those under your care and and in this sense what would some political ancient political uh, thinkers such as plato would say is that okay but this is the this is what is wrong the only people the only way that people commit to the police that the only people that the the only way for people to really commit with collective uh, goals, those long-term goals, is that they don't have in the individual interests. And in perhaps even those individual interests should be abolished in, in a way that you, you cannot think of some people as your own, but you should think of all the people in, the, in your city or in your political unit as your own. And you see that today in some ways, let's say, if I am working in an industry that's polluting the world. And I know, and I believe in climate change, which, you know, I, the science of climate change and realize that this is probably not the right trajectory. But at the same time, I think, well, I got to pay the bills. I got my family to, to provide for. And so I actually can't allow myself to freely think about the greater good of humanity or even my country or my local society. I have to think of the greater good for my family. And therefore I'm going to be politically motivated to pursue that end. Does that make is that my, is this a decent example? Not all lefts, uh, not all leftist thinkers think that way. But I mean, it is still an idea that's going around. When you see how leftists currently critique the way that uh, your family becomes uh, some sort of resource of of some sorts of of capital, not only economic capital but social capital because you inherit the connections of your family or or cultural capital because if you're the son you're the son of professors it is more likely for you to be successful in university and so on or even in in the private sector if if you you come from a family of of businessmen it, it is more likely that you will uh make use of all those connections and and somehow uh provide something for the network of, of subjects interconnected, but also be more uh, profit more from, from belonging to those connections. In that sense, even current leftist ideas somehow critique how family is uh, preventing some sort of redistributive or more fair uh, chance of, of subjects to compete. Interesting. Yeah. And, so, and yeah, but just one quick note, whenever, even on social networks, we hear people, especially young people, talk about uh, checking their 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 privilege, 
somehow we're talking about this now because privilege is a structural condition. It's not, it does not depend on the subject, but rather on what family he was born in and stuff. Yes, or even what class in some societies mm. or what race in some societies. These are all cultural capital or uh, what, yeah, cultural capital, I think you called it, yeah. where I can use that leverage. For instance, yeah, I could use, if my parents were professors, they would have connections with other professors. And even if it wasn't directly stated, I would have that name recognition in order to maybe succeed in a certain yeah. field. And, and then the, the only way for these to operate otherwise is to state uh, taking in the reins and uh, providing whatever material needs are material means are necessary for subjects to compete in equal conditions to those that inherited those those connections or those uh, like those libraries, for instance. No, I, I mean, yeah. Usually, it it is not such a problem in developed countries where. You go to the university, and usually we know that in the U.S., tuition is very expensive, and also textbooks are crazy expensive. It is not so in the rest of the world, but yet it is very expensive for people to acquire books. And usually books are acquired uh, and inherited according to how people uh, have developed uh, or how families have developed within uh, a discipline or within a certain uh, artistic tradition or stuff. No? So, for instance, it's very uh, usual that uh, academia, you can see the, the surnames and, and the, also the families evolving and, uh, and belonging to, to that very tight space. But, but then in other countries, not, as a, not necessarily in the US, uh, even in France, uh, the most excellent students will go to a public institution. And in this public institution, which, I mean, it, it itself is not a, a socialist institution. It, it, still, it still belongs to a welfare state, which is it, uh, indeed capitalist. But when you go to the public institution in France or in Mexico, the, the best university is usually the public university, and you will have access to the same professors but not to the same books, because sometimes the whole class has to read the same book, and there are only a few uh, uh, copies of it in, in the school library. So usually the, the kids that get further, uh, that advance more in their studies are those that don't need to share the resources offered by the university because they have those at home. Not only that, but probably they grew up listening to to arguments in the family or, or with friends about those authors. They, they are not names. They just came to realize that existed, but rather they, they have always had, uh, have those incorporated into their vision of the world. No, uh -huh. Let me use a quick example, maybe from a, for people who are a little bit outside of academic yeah. tradition, it would be kind of like people who are Christians and people who are Muslim or atheist, if you grow yeah. up that way. If I have to take a course at the university about, let's say, the great schism between the Western church and the mm. Eastern church, or about the development of Protestantism, Martin Luther, and all those things, I'm going to have an advantage if I grow up as a Christian, whether it's Catholic or Protestant, just because I know when I went to church, I learned somewhat of the history, I know the biblical text, where if someone grows up a Muslim or somebody grows up an atheist, 
yeah, they might have friends who are Christians and tell them a thing here or there. They somehow get, you know, tricked into going to an Easter service where they try to get saved or something. But at the end of the day, like they don't really have that just backlog of knowledge that is just readily available. That doesn't mean that they can't succeed at the course, but it just means they're going to be working extra hard because they don't know who Martin Luther is or John Calvin or what even the great schism is or the differences between Orthodox Christianity or Catholic Christianity. Is this a kind of like for people maybe outside of academia, just this is part of a uh, just a received knowledge. Yeah, it has become a, uh, an issue in academia, but you can see it's replicating also in, in other areas. But, but one that I would propose are musicians, great musicians, contemporary mm-hmm. musicians. And you can see, for instance, I'm very fond of American folk music, and you can listen to some contemporary folk musicians, such as, I don't know, Joanna Newsom or Jessica Pratt. And, and, and you know how, how they're very, they, they their music, makes reference to some, so many things, not necessarily very exquisite things, just things that you would only learn if you grew up listening to records and your, your parents knew uh, how to read uh, a score, musical score, and, and there were instruments in your house and they had great record collections. So you grew up listening to, I don't know, whatever, Patsy Cline uh, and all those uh, country musicians and now you you sort of reinterpret and, and mix what you grew up listening to so in that sense you, you see why so many musicians are are usually uh, sons and daughters of musicians no? because it, it can be indeed learned by one individual but it will take it will take him uh, much more effort than for someone that was born into it and that what's being born into it is what we realize that only the left has identified as, a, as a, an area of intervention within reality because it is not only wealth, it is not only the property of, of the means of production, which would be of capital and of the industry, which should be redistributed. But also only the left has noticed that you have to redistribute also culture, also social connections and other things. Now, this is a, a little side topic, but, or not side, like a little tangent on this idea of like redistribution. I think that this is more just in a, in a concrete, tactical, mm. maybe, uh, uh, advice to the left, is this idea of redistribution is hard because people think, well, that's yeah. mine. And you're going to, redistribution is taking something yes. from me. Whereas I think, and this is just more of like, I feel like, oh, if you want to articulate a leftist program, maybe even just terminology where you would say, (laughs) oh, no, this is just, you know, not necessarily redistributing, but properly organizing society or something. So you have, you know, and that's just like totally side topic because I think this idea of like, (laughs) so that's more just for me, if I was giving like a leftist. Uh, advice on like how to gain political power, it'd be like, never fucking say redistribute because people are like, that means taking my shit. And it's like, yes, it does. But we want to properly allocate societal resources or something like that. Because I think for me, like you could say, well, we want to redistribute wealth. And there's a lot of Americans who are making like $45,000 a year. And they're like, they want to tax me more. That's my hard-earned money. That's what I deserve, you know, which is just this like very vulgar understanding of of the economy. But at the same time, it's like, that's what people feel. 
And then, so even though we might be talking about Jeff Bezos or billionaires, people identify it with their own political plight, not even realizing that maybe a leftist program would actually help them materially. But at the same time, this idea of redistribution means we're going to take what people already own. Whereas you could say, okay, yeah, but Bezos, he's an easy target. The owner yeah, of yeah, Amazon. Yeah, but essentially you could say, well, it's not so much that he is a bad guy. I don't really know, but it's not even necessarily that he's evil for being mm. a billionaire, but it's rather that the reason he was able to be a billionaire is, is because of uneven labor laws and practices where there is a large amount of exploitation going on. So I can look at it from a very liberal side of things maybe and be like, well, he earned it. He took the risk. He had the, the initial investment and he put it all on the line. And so he deserves what he gets essentially. At the same time, not even no, not even realizing it's like it's no, it's because those poor bastards driving those Amazon trucks who are barely able to make a living wage, yeah. you know, like these are the people who he's actually benefiting from because he's extracting so much wealth from them that they're generating. Yeah, that and, makes and sense. You, you know, you're right. In, indeed, leftist discourse comes off, come off, comes off as very harsh. It, it it has a rhetoric that cannot, and maybe. That is a challenge of the left. It cannot be uh, rethought. It cannot be uh, laid out in other words. Mainly because what what a leftist would contend is that Jeff Bezos didn't make that huge amount of wealth because of his effort, but rather because of something that comes down to stealing. Which, which is still in the, the fruits of the labor of other people. And, and maybe, yes, indeed, he, he uh, employed people, but he's not paying his fair due. And, and not only to, to Amazon employees, but also to the state. So yes. in that sense, what, what a leftist, and, and that's a, an intellectual limit of, of the leftist thinker currently, is that they cannot concede that, that it... it it was not earned through through effort. It was always some some sort of the uh, ploy to 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 steal from society, from workers, and stuff. So yes, indeed, the left cannot go around that 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 uh, argument, and and they cannot just simply uh, take it as granted and try to to I don't know cheat people about their their end goal without uh, being, being very honest on how they they think this thing they think these things came to be yeah. so that's where i guess there's a difference between which i think is better that we're staying more on a purely theoretical that was more my tangent on a, a tactical level if you wanted to make strides i think you would need to articulate yeah. it differently and you know, a lot of people yeah, and yeah. What? just one idea yeah, so it's like because i think you're right and and i think that maybe if they could uh, uh get past the, this uh very theoretical way of 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 producing the, these outcomes or, or these projects they would perhaps uh call more more people to their cause no but the thing is that that you don't have to go to university to understand the main tenets of of conservatism or of liberalism. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you can be a very successful politician 
in the in the right or in the center or a very uh, apt uh, liberal democrat or conservative republican without ever getting to to dwell on hours and hours of theoretical uh, arguments whereas i'm not sure if if the left can ever produce such politicians or such uh, projects that can uh that can uh, uh call people to their cause without necessarily uh, provoking people to to read its main ideas and its main conflicts and and this is the thing the, the thing about the left being very hard to separate from from its theoretical and philosophical uh sources is that they are also very dispersed dispersed and in that sense it's not one core left no. whereas some sometimes i mean conservatism evolves but somehow uh, conservatives have their key issues they they all agree on whereas the left will never have that and yeah. Now, would you say, like, I could also say conservatism was like the people in France who wanted, the factions in France who wanted to retain the monarchy yeah. were conservatives. Yeah, indeed. In the same way that sometimes people that want to, in, in a sense, let's say, uh, retain a uh, Ethno state, like in South Africa with apartheid, they wanted to, the the power was to wanted to be retained. The conservatives, I assume, were the ones who wanted to keep the wealth and power in white the white population. So yeah, they but, were the conservatives. But it, it's not always linked to some sort of repression or exploitation. So some people, especially in the states and other places, they no, they, they get involved with conservatism because they like their societies in the way they are, and they don't want them to change very rapidly, at least. Yeah. So, but but that was maybe my point with France because this isn't. Um, it just doesn't have to do with necessarily race or anything like that. This just has to do with oh, we like the monarchy. This is the way that society should be run. Mostly because what would be uh, what would become of society if if society had a uh, hand on on its future? Because usually people they are oriented towards short-term decisions, short-term benefits. And the only way that we can achieve something greater is that we are united by an authority such as a king or a father who knows what's best for us and who can take those there. No. Otherwise, if we have to... No, no, that's yeah. true. Yeah, that's, <laughs> no. that's yeah. people, lo people love authority. It's, it's very but interesting. Even Authorities is sometimes for the best for the benefit of, of those governed. Think of coronavirus. What, what would be best if, if you had any person on, on his or her own reaching the idea that it, it is good to wear a face mask, it is good to stay indoors, because in that way, the outcomes will be that the, the disease will disappear, because there, the, there is no way that it will pass from subject to subject if subjects are dissociated between themselves. It is very hard for each individual in a society to reach this this idea on on, on their own. So the the other uh, possibility is you have an authority that is so strong that it can compel you, whether through reason or through force, to stay indoors and to wear a, a face mask, whether you agree or not. But you you understand that his power uh, is unavoidable, and uh, or you agree with. It's authority very much. 
the outcome would be the same. Because who are those benefited? The the king, the, the paternal authority, or the people? Or I mean, the outcome pretty much is the same. People would be healthy. The, the, the political body would be healthy. Most people would be able to go out and have their, their spring break. And the only way that people could enjoy their summer in 2021 is that people would not choose how to, to deal with the pandemic. The only the way for people to, to achieve what they want is that someone else uh, decides how to achieve it for them. No. And, and that's the core conservative program, I believe. And that being namely the... So what's the problem, though? You said the core problem is the conservative problem uh, yeah, the, is... The, the core problem is, is liberty and, and public good, and public, uh, the public health, uh, stability of institutions, and, and also preventing social change. Because maybe conservatism didn't came to be until uh, industrialization and mass communication and migration and the patterns of international investment change our societies not not only radically but very often also so also this is interesting so that's where i i actually like that point where so you wouldn't necessarily locate conservatism in the feudal state of the middle ages or some sort of roman empire hierarchical structure but rather in the conservative political identity comes into uh, it comes into being when society starts to rapidly change in time i mean even in our own generation we have no cell phones car phones to you know these huge brick phones and now smartphones where everybody basically has a supercomputer in their pocket at all times i mean this is rapid social change that has never been the likes of which have never been seen before. yeah and w- w- maybe for younger people this is very difficult to to appreciate but one easy way to, to see how this change really conflicts people is, I don't know, to, to look at the Facebook pages of old people, of the boomer memes. No? And usually the boomer memes are uh, questioning the validity of social relationships between youngsters who are always on their cell phone or who are always on the console or, or computer game, uh, g- uh, playing video games. And in that sense, what, what they are feeling is that those bonds that hold us together and that come with other benefits are, are being lost. No? Traditional food, what happens when we left traditional food behind and we only eat fast food? Well, it is not only bad in the sense of our identity, but also we, we go astray as a society and we develop all these uh, ailments and, and and illnesses because of, of changing the way our tradition uh, taught us to, to eat. So in that sense, the, the public health, the good of the community um, is, is being lost because of all these changes that are being introduced by, by new things that weren't there in, in the beginning, right? So that's, a, but that's not the conservative problem or that's a, a, a plus for the conservative well, people. Well, my... my I don't want to take this back to, to, to such an, uh, an academic General. outlook, but yeah. my point is that conservatism is also a 
uh, resistance to to change, which change is not always necessarily good. Uh, and this, uh-huh. like for instance, if I could use a point in this, this very concrete, maybe this. If correct me if I, this doesn't relate at all, but from my own experience in <laughs> Europe with drinking, essentially, you have beer like Kneipe Kultur, like like bar culture in Germany. You have a bunch of like wine culture uh, in France as well. This all permeates throughout. But you have like in Germany to just take yeah. beer. You have different brands of beer, and every brand of beer has a different glass that it goes into. And that glass should also better constitute, should be a better way to, to like this receptacle that actually improves the way the beer is is poured. So there's some beers that are, they're there's very low carbonation. They're very light beers. They need to be drank cold, and they have these like little two point two liter glasses because you drink them fast and then you you fill them up because also if you let it sit too long it's it gets stale it doesn't have a very robust flavor and the carbonation is lost so you kind of have this way of drinking it and then other ones a pilsner you have a variety of glasses but they're all kind of designed to host this certain type of beer and as well as like brandy glasses for instance in iowa i can't find a brandy (laughs) glass to save my life (laughs) so I'm not joking. Actually, I've been looking one. I'm I'm sure I could go to some like high end kind of, or not high end even, but just some sort of, or like I mean I can't even find like grappa here. Mm -hmm. Grappa. Yeah, I know the the Italian. Yeah. So, but it's so funny because I just at the grocery store in Germany. But all this to say, and like even grappa glasses, they have like a short stem with this little like way, so you actually should be able to to smell to smell it kind of like a, a scotch glasses sometimes where they're actually designed in a way that you can, you should, you should smell it before you sip on it. And, and, um, and then, also you know, preventive evaporation because of grappa's high alcohol content. Yeah. Yes. So, but all that to say is that there's, I, I do sympathize with this conservative idea where when I come here, it's like, it's like Mad Max or something, uh, you know, there's just like no proper glasses used. Nobody has any idea of the differences of like how a beer should be drank. I mean, this is like my conservatism maybe coming out, which is like, what the fuck guys? Like I, I do understand like th- these traditions have been cultivated for the last 200 years. Yeah. Okay. And that's why they have developed in such a way. And here in the States, just, and I mean, this is a very concrete example where like that, yeah, the conservative, maybe in Germans, like, well, why would you drink? Like I ordered this beer. This shows how long I was there. Uh, this beer that should be drank in like the really yeah. tiny glass. I ordered it at a, cause there's a German pub here, which is very American has like 50 beers on tap, you know, all German beers, which is more than any German bar <laughs> ever would have on top. <laughs> but, but anyway, so I go there and I order this and I'm like, Hey, can I have like the little glass? And they're like, no, we just serve them in half yeah. liters or full liters. And it was like, because okay, that, that is how Germans but, do it. Yeah, but it was also just like, oh, this is, but that's not how my my reaction was like, yeah, but that's not how you can, that's not how you drink this kind of beer, you know, it's like this. Maybe that's a conservative reaction to like, no, this has been established this way, and that's how it. There's there's reasons for the way we drink this beer yeah. this way. Well, yes and no, because usually that resistance to change it is usually associated with conservatism when when it is enacted by those in power or those closely related to power for instance okay but this uh-huh. this is more of a the, my example then would you say that's just more of a established tradition or something outside of okay yeah, so no. for, for when you talk about conservatism it's it's essentially whether it's the king or later the bourgeois class or the business class who essentially dictates 
Yeah, no, Sorry, I feel oh, no, what, what I think it is, for instance, this resistance to change. For, for instance, you as a young cosmopolitan intellectual who, who knows that each wine and each beer has its own uh, glass and, and stuff. Uh, the thing is that is it is not the dominant position in, in the society you live in. So rather than uh, tending to tradition, you are actually trying to introduce change in your in your in your society. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> and the thing is, for instance, we usually criticize conservatism in the U.S. and and in other countries, usually developed countries, because we think that their white populations resistance to change is usually something bad. But in, in Latin America, for instance, where I'm from, usually those uh, resisting change are indigenous cultures. And indigenous cultures are also contending that the, the best way that they have found to live as a society or as collectives is the way that they inherited from their forefathers. The, speaking the, their own languages, deciding things politically as a community as they have or they imagine their 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 ancestors did because it's very hard to to prove that they actually did those things that that indigenous people now claim but why why are they not associated with conservatism in latin america but rather they are thought of as leftist movements and and the idea and, and why it is very difficult to to pinpoint a leftist position right now is they are actually they are asking for actually the same as an American from I don't know Iowa or or the Rust Belt, but as they are not in power, as they are not the the most benefited uh, benef uh, the, those that reap the most benefits of the system, but rather they are they are the ones that are taking. Uh, being cheated by the system, it is associated with a leftist uh, idea. But yet, they don't have any program for redistribution. They don't think of revolution as, as an European leftist or, or or Western leftist would think. And and still, they are thought of as leftists rather than conservatives. When their solution, it comes down to let's go back to the things were before. Mm -hmm. Mainly, the place of the left is to propose radical ideas that will never be implemented, but rather will be there as a repository for when someone needs to find a solution, uh, but a toned-down solution is the one that they will imp uh, implement in the end. But would you say, at the same time, whether or not they implement those radical ideas, but, ra but at the end of the day, it still is working towards greater greater emancipation and material benefits to the larger the, the larger society yeah. on the other hand and and this is important it wouldn't be in the best interest of any society right now to make that strive towards this radical change because things more or less are working right now i mean we're on the verge of uh transitioning from uh an economy based on on telecommunications and computers to uh, an economy, a world economy based on renewable energies and nanotechnology and artificial intelligence. 
So capitalism has a long way to go. I mean, it, these technologies will ensure uh, sustained economic growth worldwide for, for the next 40 to 60 years. And it, it wouldn't make any sense to try to make a revolution and, and socialize the the property of, of, of the production means of, of factories or, or of capital right now when probably more benefits can be allocated in society just by private uh, property of, of, of these means of production. Or more b- better rest- uh, distribution of wealth from these new mechanical, like artificial intelligence, if that is implemented. But you still need the political will to implement some sort of benefit for society when some of these more precise or, or more efficient technologies are implemented. At the same time, you could say, well, yeah, because that's why they they will alleviate that because they still need consumers. Like if you have artificial intelligence to build as many things as you want to be sold, but there aren't people who actually have the means to buy them, then the economy doesn't exist. Yeah, necessarily. I mean, we will see a, a, a hike in, in wages and in the general standards of living. Not not in all of the world, only in, in the places that are tightly connected to this world economy. For instance, Afghanistan doesn't have a, a play in this future, or Bolivia, or those places that in the 20th century provided uh, energy resources, mainly oil. And those parts yeah. of the world... So like Venezuela or... Yeah, Saudi Venezuela, Arabia Saudi Arabia, uh, Syria, Libya, Qatar, Qatar etc. Yeah. So maybe it does make sense that they revert to these theological, uh, fundamental forms of government, but because otherwise those societies would fall down into chaos. And the only way to prevent that is with very centralized uh, political institutions, which ultimately, although it sounds terrible and horrific, is what the Islamic State offered, but also what, what the Saudi government offers. No, no democracy. Certainly, democracy is only feasible when people can prosper materially. And in the absence of, of any economic growth, you cannot pretend to, to, to have a, a, a democracy. No, what, what you need are institutions that, that keep subjects at bay. Because without force, uh, individuals would uh, lead to, to the obliteration of society. No? Because there are no goals. And the only goals... Or in many ways, you would say like, but this kind of almost, you have this like almost Hobbesian idea mm-hmm. of society basically being trying to keep the forces of chaos yeah. at bay for lack of a better term, where there's actually this like threat. And so the state is organized in order to keep people from tearing each other apart and from this outside to essentially destroy. Yeah, but, but also us. it means the end of any projects that bind me to, to the others in society because we have common goals related to prosperity, to, to wealth. For instance, the American way of life is we do not necessarily have to be the same or, or believe in the same st- stuff, but we do all agree that we came to prosper through this land. No? But and so as long as we can agree on that, agree on that. And when maybe there's tension, it's because there's part of society that isn't feeling that oh, a large enough about of, of society, whether it's millennials or others who are basically saying like, 
when it came to even like Black Lives Matter or something, there are large factions within society that don't seem to have access to this shared idea of the ability yeah, to prosper. But what they are asking is their ability to prosper. But what happens in a country when, you know, uh, prosperity, there's no, there's no way, for, yeah. there will be no economic growth. There's no future. So instead of material goals, what society replaces them with are ideal goals. And, and they can be religious ones. No? So in that sense, yeah. and it, this is a very dark and terrible idea, fundamentalism works because <laughs> any other political system would not suit them. What for? I mean, democracy is only uh, feasible if you have a market or a, an open market and, and if people will try to vote for those projects or that uh, those uh, politicians that offer something that benefits them. But there is no material benefit to be possible in, in those economies that what the only thing that they, they offer to the world economy were uh, material resources and, and the ones that will not be necessary because cars will be electric and probably we will find another means to produce plastic, not through oil and stuff. So, so either you shift towards like, I think even like Qatar is trying to implement sort of educational ideas, IT sectors to make their economy more diverse and not so dependent upon oil. But not all of these countries are going to be able to make some yeah. change. Such as Libya or Syria and the rest of But So for instance, why do they not resort to, to leftist ideas? Because... What, what we mean is that uh, socialist revolution is, not, is also not suitable for them. I mean, it would be a, a nonsense, no? So Why so? What, because what, what we miss is that socialism... Because if there are no, no wealth to be redistributed, then exactly. why would you even try to pursue it? Because there's nothing really to uh -huh. be pursued. And, and that's the thing why even leftists, and that's precisely my closing point, uh, left ideas are mostly, as I said earlier, they are mostly discussed in developed countries because they, they serve as a, a very fine critique, but also one that requires very specialized intellectuals. And, and therefore, it doesn't work as a political force, but rather as an intellectual uh, discourse. And for instance, in countries that have tried to implement socialism, like Venezuela, this is, has been very impossible because there is not no wealth to be distributed. And, and what they found is that they had these very centralized political regimes that tried to distribute not the wealth that was produced from a society producing uh, industri uh, industrial goods or, or services, but rather they were only socializing the production of the natural resources, which are not necessarily the product of social work. So as long as, as you're not socializing the wealth produced by social work, you cannot have a revolution. See, if you are merely socializing the benefits of, of natural resources, that does not activate politically uh, the, the society into this revolution. So those revolutions always fail. Which, which probably ties now for me back into Marx, where he actually thought that the the so socialism would be implemented in Germany because it had this industry and where he maybe conceived of some of his ideas, obviously they're a historical precedent, but some of it 
actually was conceived in England where he saw society producing in these factories incredible amounts of wealth and that wealth that could be better balanced where in some ways it was then implemented some socialist rev- revolution in in Russia which actually had no industrial really wealth to go around it was primarily peasantry and natural it, it was surplus that you were socializing and if there were there was no surplus being produced there was no no social agenda to be possible so in that sense which then would be also interesting to talk about some yeah. other time maybe but about the idea like because maybe you could think of some ancient pe- peasantry you know in in let's say china where it's basically self-sufficient you grow all the own food was grown there. Everyone is self-sufficient or any maybe industrial, like indigenous society that lives outside of the realms of modern, uh, the modern industrial world. That that is, it's self-sufficient, but that isn't necessarily socialism to you. Socialism is the redistribution of surplus where this is just kind of a, yeah. that kind of ideal, whether where, how often it's actually existed could maybe be debated, but where that is 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 not based upon surplus but rather just upon uh, uh, a sharing of of the few resources available we, 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 yeah in order yeah. for people to, I mean, to survive the left and socialist agenda is at least it it does it, it is not foreign to modernity and it, it is tightly related to ideas of progress and of constant uh, evolution of constant growth the socialist agenda does not see itself as a as a static society, but rather as a society that is constantly innovating and and growing economically just as much as the capitalist society did. You know? And in that way, those societies that try to share what few means they have, but they they do not prosper, is not necessarily a, a socialist uh, economy because they are not planning; they are merely surviving no <laughs> but so i think that this, yeah, my, oh, my closing idea was this. Sure. Uh, yeah, and, yeah sorry about that is that no, the no, left no. is only a program no. of developed countries uh, we usually think that it is something that failed in in the U- soviet union or venezuela or cuba the thing is that they weren't really producing leftist ideas no? they, they were trying to to produce centralized governments that would contain what otherwise would be an impossible uh, society. But the, the, the real leftist agenda, the real leftist critique is, is only producing the developed countries. And, and mostly you will find that because of its intellectual uh, compromises, because of, of its intellectual requirements, it's mostly produced at the very same universities that produce neoliberal theory. I mean, it, it is Harvard, it is Princeton, it is Cambridge, it is MIT, it is UCLA, uh, uh, maybe some more French universities such as the, the New School of Social Research, but it, it is Columbia and, and those very same uh, universities that, that produce innovations that feed capitalism, the ones that are... Uh, producing also the critique. This critique is not, is not non-Western, it's not Oriental, it's not foreign to, to, to the West. No, I think that's a great place to end it. <laughs> <laughs>